Welcome and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing The Will Rogers Follies, A Life in Review. He's got more fans than Shirley. doing i hope this episode of the musical man finds you well as always i have two things two things i wish to address in this opening segment of ours the first is hits the musical hits the musical is a show that came to my attention it was brought to my attention because it came through minneapolis for one and only one performance and then it continued on its merry way hits the musical if you haven't heard me if you haven't seen me talking about it on twitter you might be wondering what is hits the musical well i'll tell you what it isn't it's not a musical it is a review well maybe this promotional video will help explain (laughs) maybe this will help to establish a, a framework and then we can build from there patty benny hello it's so good to see you again can we play the audio from that promotional video please right here First there was fame, then there was glee, now there's Hits, the musical. From Billboard to Broadway, 80 of the biggest hits of all time. You won't want to miss this breathtaking night of electrifying dancing, extraordinary singing, Featuring America's next young superstars. 90 minutes of pure musical joy that will warm your heart and have you dancing in the eyes. So get your tickets now. Hits the musical. National Tour Spring 2023. All right, so you probably got the sense that this is more of a review, right? A review of popular songs from every fucking decade going all the way back to the 1950s. If that was your uh, assessment of the audio, you're right. It is a review. It's basically a concert featuring children from the ages of 10 to 21. Not that I think of 21-year-olds as children, but this show sort of lumps them all together as young people. (laughs) The music of your youth, your 
your past as presented to you by the youth of today. It's 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 produced by Dion Warwick. And if you go to the official website for Hits the Musical, you will see more promotional footage for the production, which I will say this. I'm glad I, I did not forget about this. They claim this is a 10 million dollar production but if you go to that official website you will see photos from the show and the set is essentially nothing more than a series of risers from a from a high school pep rally and bed sheets a lot of bed sheets that are they, they serve as substitutes for big banners i think that's what we're going for here are two things i really like from the audio you heard a moment ago i really like the one two combo of the guy who goes Oh, 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 yeah. And the second guy who immediately follows the first with, come on! Oh, 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 yeah. Come on! It's really cheesy and not in a good way. I, I, you know how I love cheesy, but I'm laughing at this in an ironic way. I'm sorry, young people of today. I'm sorry that you got brought into this ridiculous production. The other thing I really like is the Come Sail Away finale. Now, I mentioned the website, the additional footage you can find on that website. Well, you get a more uh, fleshed out version of that finale. You get a greater sense of how that finale works. I assume the show finishes with Come Sail Away. It seems to be the big finale of the show anyway. And I like it because... <laughs> Uh, well, I laugh at it because the original version of Come Sail Away is like, what, six and a half minutes long. It fades out, right? It's a radio-friendly tune that fades out. But we can't do that for Hits the Musical. This is presumably the big finale, right? So a song has to have a nice button at the end if it's going to serve as the finale. So instead of fading out, we do Come Sail Away, Come Sail Away, Come Sail Away with me. With me! Come sail away! It... <laughs> it is... I really like the... With me! With me! <laughs> you just take it up a little bit! Now, do the young people sound better than I do? Yes. I'm not here to besmirch their talents. I just wish... I wish they had better opportunities. I wish they, again, were not roped into this. Apply their talents elsewhere. It's the musical. Dion Warwick, you're the executive producer. I don't know about that. Now, what's the second thing that I wanted to talk about? Well, I revisited the 1977 Ethel Merman, Mary Martin, Jean Shallot interview previously featured on our Gypsy episode, if you remember that, all the way back. And the following comment thread on YouTube stood out to me, so I, I thought it would be fun to share this with you. Someone writes in the comments, quote, now I get what I kind of suspected. Ethel was a fraud. Mary Martin was the real thing. Quote, this was followed by a series of replies. Here's the first reply. Mary was the real thing. I met her at a book signing and she spent 10 minutes talking to me. Her business manager was trying to move things along, but she wanted to talk to me some more. And that was that. Here's another reply. Ethel Merman was not a fraud. You show your prejudice and ignorance by saying that. Ask 100 people who the greatest Broadway star of all time was, and 99 of them will say that it was Ethel Merman. Here's another reply. Your jealousy is showing time to get some help. How about another reply? Here it is. Sounds like you didn't get the notice of Ethel Merman. Jealousy is an ugly thing. And finally... Ethel was a charismatic star, but full of herself, privately. 
Everybody has a take. Everybody has really strong takes. Actually, I respect the Ethel was a fraud take. What a swing. That person knew that they were coming out of the gate ready to set the world on fire, and the replies reflect that. It is now time to talk about uh, the show facts regarding this week's subject, the Will Rogers Follies. Show me the show facts. Patty, Benny, let's do it. The Will Rogers Follies was the 1991 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on May 1st, 1991 at the Palace Theater and ran for 981 performances. The book is by Peter Stone. The music, Cy Coleman. Previous subjects of the podcast include Little Me, Sweet Charity, I Love My Wife, On the 20th Century, and City of Angels. All written by Cy Coleman, you know, you know. Lyrics for the Will Rogers Follies were provided by Betty Comden and Adolph Greeny. Yes, previous subjects of the podcast include Bells Are Ringing, A Doll's Life, which we covered through uh, the Patreon feed via the Snow Club, and On the 20th Century. Hello again. The director of the Will Rogers Follies, none other than Tommy Toon. Musical director, Eric Stern. Orchestrations, Billy Byers. Choreographer, Tommy Toon. Tommy Toon, hello. Scenic design, Tony Walton. Lighting design, Jules Fisher. Sound design, Peter Fitzgerald. Costume design, Willa Kim. And the original Broadway cast of the Will Rogers Follies was as follows. We begin with Keith Carradine, Dee Hutty, Vince Bruce, Katie Huffman, Dick LaTessa. Now that name stood out to me. I looked up his resume. Previous subjects of the podcast include Rags, Damn Yankees, and Hairspray. We have Gregory Peck in this cast. Well, his recorded voice, at least. This was the first time Mr. Peck had appeared on Broadway since Sons and Soldiers in 1943. Wow. Paul Exana Jr., you are also in the Broadway cast of the Will Rogers Follies, as well as Roxanne Barlow, Bonnie Brackney, Tom Brackney, Maria Calabres, Gregory Scott Carter, Janine Derleth, Rebecca Downing, Colleen Dunn, Sally Mae Dunn, Rick Faugno, John Ganoon, Tony Georgiana, Eileen Grace, Luba Gregus, Troy Britton Johnson, Tonya Lynn, Tammy Minoff, Jerry Mitchell, Dana Moore, Jason Opsal, Lance Robinson, Ami Turner, Juliana Urbina, Wendy Waring, Christina Youngman, and Lee Zimmerman. But that's not all. No, 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 we're not done yet. I also want to credit the Wild West show dogs who appear in this production. Their names are these beautiful dogs are known as B.A., Coco, Gigi, Rusty, Z, and Trixie. I'm sorry to report that none of these wonderful pups made their way back to Broadway. I checked out their IBDB resumes. Their one and only credit, the Will Rogers Follies. Tony nods. All right. The production won Best Musical, of course, but it was also nominated for Best Original Score, Betty Comden, Adolph Green, and Cy Coleman. Best Costume Design, Willa Kim. Best Lighting Design, Jules Fisher. Best Choreography, Tommy Toon and Best Direction of a Musical, Tommy Toon. It was additionally nominated for Best Book of a Musical, Peter Stone. Best Actor in a Musical, Keith Carradine. Best Actress in a Musical, Dee Hotty. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Katie Hoffman. And Best Scenic Design, Tony Walton. So, in total, 11 Tony Award nominations, six awards when all was said and done. Not bad, not bad at all. 
let's talk about the plot of The Will Rogers Follies. Let's do it. Okay, if you're not familiar with Will Rogers, the, the living, breathing, flesh and blood figure from history, context for you right here and now. He was a goddamn American megastar. He appeared in rodeos, Wild West shows, oh, the rope tricks he would do. He did the vaudeville circuit for years. He did over 2,500 shows for the Ziegfeld Follies. He appeared in so many movies. He was a huge movie star, as well as a, an enormous radio personality. He had a newspaper column. He did the lecture circuit. America loved Will Rogers. They really, really fucking loved him, and that show reflects that adoration. Act one. We begin with Will Rogers' fans appearing on stage to extol his virtues. They say, we love the guy. They say, we can't get enough of the guy. The women look like sexually liberated cows, and the men look like Cowboy Curtis from Pee-wee's Playhouse. They're all dancing on a rainbow staircase that's bigger than a battleship. You know, the whole thing I would describe as impossibly gay. References made to Will's Cherokee heritage. Look, a Cherokee man doing ballet moves. Ah, and say, Cherokee women with their boobs out and everything. I realize we're filtering Will's biography through a lavish Follies lens, but the Cherokee bits are hard to swallow. No one was looking to yassify the Cherokee Nation, Tommy Toon, you tacky queen. I love you, but come on. Will flies in from the rafters, hi y'all, to perform rope tricks, woo, and joke about the price of Broadway tickets. We learn that the one and only Florence Siegfeld is the fella who devised this show and is currently watching from his office all the way back, oh, all, all the way back at the back of the house. Mr. Ziegfeld commands Will to keep things going. Mr. Rogers, please, for God's sake. Will introduces us to world-famous aviator Wiley Post. Wiley shouts, let's go flying, Will, from one of the boxes at the Palace Theater. This is a harbinger of doom for anyone who knows about the untimely demise of Will Rogers and Wiley Post, but let's not focus on that just yet. Will receives the October 9th, 1991 edition of the New York Times, and proceeds to riff on the headlines. I should say I'm basing this summary of mine on a video capture, a pro shot of the October 9th, 1991 Broadway performance. So that's why I assume that he changed the date every single time. So he riffs on the headlines of the New York Times. Warm chuckles of acknowledgement ensue. <laughs> Everyone's having a nice, comforting time. Side note, Will was known for his apolitical humor, and we get a taste of that here. Jokes about Congress and Russia, all of which are intentionally nonspecific and essentially inoffensive because it's, they're, not very, they're not very sharp in terms of taking a side. I would compare this to the political commentary from Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, but Will Rogers is affable and charming, whereas Little Chap is unnerving and literally greasy from all of the clown makeup. You see, he's greasy. Little Chap sucks. The newspaper material is followed by even more rope tricks, if you can believe it. You want to know why the Will Rogers Follies is never produced at the regional level? Because no one knows how to sing, dance, act, and 
do rope tricks. We flash back to November 4th, 1879, the day our hero was born. Will's father, Clem Rogers, celebrates the baby's arrival along with his six daughters. Stop the world! I've always wanted a son! Clem encourages a 13-year-old Will to embrace his Cherokee ancestry before presenting a living tableau, a convention of the Ziegfeld Follies, and this tableau is of Custer's last stand. This is presented to the audience. A 19-year-old Will announces he is moving to Argentina to become a cowboy, despite Clem's wish that he would one day take over the family ranch. Clem is heartbroken. An impatient Mr. Ziegfeld encourages Will to hurry up and meet his one true love, Betty Blake. After all, the Follies are nothing without romance. The details of Will and Betty's first encounter bore the famed impresario to tears, leading him to change the location of their meeting to the moon. You met her on the moon, Mr. Rogers. Go! Will and Betty fall in love, as expected, but that's less important to me than the woman who appears in a rocket costume while tiptoeing in ballet flats. How do you? I have a fresh pair of flannel underwear for a Mr. Will Rogers. I'm a rocket ship. My boobs are out. Zoom! This is one of several roles played by Katie Huffman, who is pretty damn fantastic, I will say. Will sets off for Argentina, promising to write to Betty. Betty begins to worry that her best years are being wasted on a no-account cowpoke who may never make good on his premises. He may never make her... He <laughs> she may never be an honest woman if she's waiting around for this dummy. Betty's understudy, a dynamite blonde with big aspirations, played by Katie Huffman, magically moves the hands of time so the lovers can reunite at the St. Louis World's Fair. Our boy Will is found performing in a Wild West show. This is where the dogs come in, by the way. Despite Betty's reservations about show business, she agrees to marry Will, and they begin to plan the ceremony. Mr. Ziegfeld interrupts, No, 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 Mr. Rogers. Weddings come at the end of the first act. Just tell us what happened after the wedding, and we'll circle back once the time is right. Will and Betty, ever obedient, fly past the wedding so they can experience the highs and lows of the vaudeville circuit. In the blink of an eye, they have three sons and a daughter, and in the blink of another eye, Betty is worn out and practically inconsolable. She's tired of living out of some worn-out old trunk. She wants a nice, quiet life in a house, damn it! Seeing how unhappy Betty has become, Will vows to give up showbiz and settle down in Oklahoma, but that's exactly when Mr. Ziegfeld comes a-calling with a job. Mr. Rogers, I've come a-calling, as they say. Betty believes turning down the follies would be a mistake, and so she encourages Will to accept the big guy's offer. Smash cut. Will is now the poet laureate of the United States. After 2,500 shows under the Ziegfeld banner, he is all set to retire from the stage and become a Hollywood actor. But first... The wedding ceremony, as promised. I do, I do. Oh, by the way, Clem Rogers has died and is now an angel. Clem never saw Will's act while he was alive because uh, he, well, he had no real interest. I thought my son would do something big, something that would make the world better. Oh, well, anywho, rest in peace, me. Act 2. Following an extended blacklight dance routine and even more rope tricks, Will arrives to fill us in on everything that happened during intermission. 
Hollywood wasn't quite ready for our hero, and after losing everything in an attempt to fund his own film career, Will returned to the Follies. This exposition is followed by a mournful song about the state of the environment, which A, took me by surprise, and B, turned out to be the best part of the show by a country bumpkin mile. More on that later, rest assured. So what happens next? Well, much like Little Chap, Will decides to run for office. The President of the United States, to be precise. Precise? Does he win? No. But at this point, Will has become a star of film and radio. He's achieved those dreams. Not to mention, a, he's also a much-beloved newspaper columnist. The man has more money than he could ever hope to spend in a lifetime. But Betty is blue. Ah, Betty. Will is never around, etc. She makes a good case for being blue. Here is a truly funny and bizarre moment I would like to describe in detail. Upon returning to his estate in California, Will is greeted by his four children, none of whom have aged a day. According to Mr. Ziegfeld, casting older children would have been a pain in the neck, and so the tykes must remain forever young. Will points out how one of his sons shouldn't even be on stage as the boy died from diphtheria earlier in the timeline. The son objects. Grandpa's dead and he still gets to be in the show. This is true. Clem Rogers has been taking bit parts ever since he passed away in Act 1. With this evidence placed before him, Will has no choice but to allow his dead son to remain a part of the show. The children are overjoyed. They jump into the air in perfect sync with one another. They shout, hooray! It's very funny. But back to the marital woes. Will reassures Betty that there's nothing in the world he loves more than their family. He presents Betty with expensive jewels, each one represented on stage by by a different Ziegfeld girl. The glittering sequence collapses in step with the stock market crash of 1929. Betty's understudy, that dynamite blonde played by Katie Huffman, calls out for Ziegfeld, believing he will save her from economic disaster. Mr. Ziegfeld does not respond because he is cold-blooded. Everyone is out of a job, including him. Flash forward to 1931. President Herbert Hoover asks Will to deliver an uplifting speech to the nation. Said speech is just as relevant in 2023 as it ever was back then, and I would like to play that part of the show for you now because it is so good. Keith Carradine's performance is so on point. Patty Benny, let's drop that audio in right here. And now, at Mr. Hoover's invitation, a few words from America's favorite humorist, Mr. Will Rogers. Um... Mr. Hoover wanted someone to follow him who could cheer you folks up. Well, he must be pretty desperate if he has to ask a Democrat. <laughs> Problem is, who's going to cheer me up? Because all I know is what I see on the street corners, and what I see tonight are people without jobs, without homes, without food. They're our own people, American people. I hear tell at least 16 million souls are unemployed, a full third of the workforce. Well, these people are asking for our help. But they're not asking for charity, they're asking for a job. And the next best thing we can do is see to it that they have food and the necessities of life. We've got the money. Because there's as much money in the country as there ever was. Only fewer people have it, but it's there. And the president promised his country prosperity, but up to now only a handful of men have got any. And the difference between our rich and our poor grows greater every year. A man can make a million dollars overnight, and he's on every front page the next morning. 
but it never tells who gave up that million that he got. You can't get money without taking it from somebody else. That means there's not a one of us that has anything that doesn't owe part of it to those that need it now. I don't suppose that the most unemployed or the hungriest man in America hasn't contributed in some way to the, the wealth of every millionaire in America. It wasn't the working man that brought this depression thing on at all. It was the big boys themselves who thought that this financial drunk we've been going through was going to last forever. They overborrowed and overmerged and overcapitalized and, and over everything else. And that's the fix that we're in now. People are starving to death. Americans. Can you hear that? Here in this country, with more wheat, more corn, more everything else than any country on the face of the earth, we got people starving. No country ever had more, no country ever had less. Ten men could buy the whole world, and ten million can't buy enough to eat. We hold the distinction of being the only nation in the history of the world that ever went to the poorhouse in an automobile. Now, if there ain't something cockeyed in an arrangement like that, then... And this microphone is a, a spittoon. It's up to us, to every one of us that doesn't go to bed hungry at night to see to it that nobody else does either. The other countries of the world, they don't understand us, you know. They can't figure out what makes us tick. But every one of them gives us credit for being liberal, which only means that we're generous and open-handed and doggone it. I don't know about us being fundamentally sound or all that other political hooey, but... I do know that Americans are fundamentally liberal. They won't stand for people going hungry. You'd think that some of our big men would understand that and try to fix it. Try and arrange a better distribution of things. Because if they don't do that, then they're not big men. And that's all there is to it. Where are all the big men? Lord, we sure could use one now. I can't say anything more about it than that. Keith Carradine really does make an argument for taking that best actor Tony, I gotta say. I gotta say it. Will receives a pep talk from Clem, who has finally come to recognize his son as a person of great value. This familial reconciliation is followed by a command from aviator Wiley Post. Let's go flying, Will! You see, Will and Wiley are supposed to die in a plane crash on August 15th, 1935. There is nothing our hero can do about this, and so he accepts his fate with good humor. He sings out once more, I never met a man I didn't like. Way to, way to mangle that melody, Jonathan. And he steps, oh, Will, Will Rogers, goodbye. He steps through a swirling cosmic portal, presumably to hell, heaven, heaven, I'm kidding. I'm sure he went to heaven. In the end, P.S. number one. I know he wasn't around for the horrors of World War II, but well, he was around for the lead-up, certainly. I'm not convinced Will Rogers liked Nazis, is my point. Like, nice philosophy. I never met a man I didn't like. Uh, great, my dude. But reality has a way of cracking that tidy piece of wisdom into splinters and shards. A lot of people are not interested in finding common ground with their fellow man. Their whole objective in life is actually quite the opposite. Sad but true, Will Rogers knew about the existence of Nazis, right? I, I understand he had a brand, 
But Will Rogers, for my own sanity, no, I don't think he's going to shake hands with a fucking Nazi and be like, well, how can we find common ground? You know, PPS, PS number two. They make a big deal about Betty's understudy, the dynamite blonde, Katie Huffman. They, they make a big deal about how she wants to take over the role of Betty, but that never actually happens. I thought there would be a scene in which Will returns home to find Betty gone and the dynamite blonde in her place. Of course I'm your wife. No, you're not. You know what I mean? Alas and alack, we never got that scene. For the purposes of this week's episode, I began by watching the October 9th, 1991 Pro Shot video capture, whatever you want to call it, of the original Broadway production. This was directed for television by Walter C. Miller. And much like the video capture of Pacific Ocean, Overtures, the Will Rogers Follies was originally filmed for Japanese television, and the resulting product was never made available in America. But the whole thing is on YouTube, baby. The whole thing, I would, oh, absolutely recommend watching it. Tommy Toon, director-choreographer Tommy Toon, provides what is arguably a too-long introduction while making his way through the Palace Theater, a sight that befuddles several ancient white theater-goers. What's happening? Who is that man? She stole my diaper! I also watched the 1991 Tony Awards performance of Willamania and Favorite Son, and... At the very end, I caught sight of a familiar figure. Hey, it's Gene Siskel in the audience. What did audience member Gene Siskel think of the Will Rogers Follies? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Hello, Gene, step out of that cosmic portal and talk to us. The performance is followed by a list of Broadway stars we can expect to see throughout the night. Topol, Carol Channing, Joel Gray, Tyne Daly, Steve Gutenberg. Huh? Yes, actually, Mr. Gutenberg was a Broadway star at the time, or at least he was a month prior to the Tony broadcast. The Tony's broadcast, Prelude to a Kiss, by Craig Lucas, anyone? Anyone? <laughs> Hello? To be clear, Steve was a replacement in that production, not an original cast member. Oh, how embarrassing. Uh, the YouTube, uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> Replacements are great. The YouTube upload for this performance, can you imagine? <laughs> I don't like replacements. If you're not an original cast member, eat my raw ass. The YouTube upload for this performance ends on a shot of Jeremy Irons, who looks miserable on an atomic level, seething, broiling. I swear I've talked about this before. The man looks like he would commit a fucking bloody felony if it meant getting out of this gig. And finally, I listened to the 1991 original Broadway cast album. You know that I wasn't going to skip over that. You know it. Uh, this voice sounds great. Okay, let's talk about the score for the Will Rogers Follies. We begin with the song, Give a Man Enough Rope. Ah. Give a man enough rope. Give a man enough rope. And he can hang himself or not. That is the choice that he has got. He could wind up hanging down from a tree. Or he could spin himself alive. That's what happened to me. Give a man enough rope. 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 You hand two guys a pile of dough. One spins it fast. One saves it slow. You make a choice. You make a choice. Up to you what you do. Up to you what you do. This act ain't much, but through it, I've met kings and queens, and I got to meet you. 
Everybody spins with a different twist. Some use elbow grease, some just flick the wrist. If you want to aim for a great big goal, go for broke, just let her go. Never let them see that there's effort there. You may sweat inside, but be debonair. If you go for tears, or you go for jokes. Shrug it off, it's nothing, folks. Give a man enough rope. 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 It's good to set your sights up high, but don't expect high in the sky. A guy might rush. A guy might rush. For that old pot of gold. Could choose to run a bank. A guy could choose to run a bank. Another lives to till the soil. Another lives to till the soil. Or practice law or violin. Or practice law or violin. Or maybe sell banana oil. Banana oil. One builds a barn, one writes a song. One builds a barn, one writes a song. One digs a ditch, one teaches school. One digs a ditch, one teaches school. But from the day I came along. If the vibe of Will Rogers and his two-and-a-half-hour bio-musical wasn't made clear by opening numbers like Willamania and Never Met a Man I Didn't Like, the third song of the evening, Give a Man Enough Rope, will place your wayward ass on the right track. Listen here, y'all. We are here to have ourselves a good time. Some fellers take what God gave them and make a right mess of it. Some of them wind up swinging from a tree, but that ain't what happened to our boy Willie. Oh, sure, there was trouble and strife on occasion. The man died in a terrible plane crash. But we're telling you that up front, getting it out of the way. Willie led himself a good life, a full life, and all we really want to do is celebrate that. We are here to have ourselves a good time. And you know what? I did have ourselves a good time. I did have ourselves. Give a man enough rub seals the deal when it comes to our main character. This is a person I can trust, a guide worth following, someone who will probably not cheat on his wife with a Nazi. Jonathan is still talking about little chap. He already brought him up. He's doing it again. After all this time, little chap is eating nothing burgers in Jonathan's head. The clown of uh, the clown prince of crime is living inside his head rent free. You're not wrong. Here it is, Tuesday, November 4th, 1879. And here I am, Clement B. Rogers, the father of six lovely daughters, waiting nervously for the birth of my first son. <coughs> It's a boy, hey, I got me a boy Step right up, it's a boy I got a son and an heir What else can compare? I haven't a care I want to sing Hosanna's Hooray, hooray, although I love all my girls Six is plenty of girls After all of those girls I gave it one extra shot Get praying a lot And look what I got I'm passing out Havana's Yippee-yay You keep the shine on the family name Piles of rancher, so he'll be the same. With cattle standing out yonder for miles around. 
That's why I'm handing the smokes and the smiles around. Hooray, 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 at last it's a male. And his powerful whale says he's hearty and hail, and he'll be proud as can be when he knows that he is part Cherokee like his father. To be a hell of a man, I'll make him a man, a hell of a man like yours truly. Hooray, hooray, hooray for my lucky star! Have a cigar, I'm jumping for joy. At last, it's a boy. You gotta keep trying. At last, it's a Tessa, if you are listening to this show from heaven, please step out, step through the cosmic portal. I just want to tell you that you have a fan in the musical man. Your performance here as Clem Rogers deserved to be recognized by the Tonys. Ah, Clem is a hoot, a grumpy cuss you want to rope into a bear hug, and his signature number, It's a Boy, left me smiling from ear to ear. This is showmanship right here, a ham and cheese on rye that you wolf down with relish. I think what sets a gem like Clem apart from a sap like Little Chap is the fact that he wants a son. He wants a son, but he also loves his daughters without reservation. Again, with the Little Chap stuff, he's talking about it again. It's easier to empathize with a character when they don't utterly despise women, okay? This show does not make that mistake. These men love the women in their lives, and that's why I love them. Moving on. Small the earth seems, poor little planet, viewing it from a distance, light years away, way off in a starlit place. Here I sit mooning on the moon, mooning, questioning my existence, just a tiny speck alone in space. Yes. 
Once again, it is time for me to recommend audition material. Class is in session. The library is open. Who likes to read? To anyone. <laughs> I say to anyone out there who aspires to become a professional actor, I say, do you long to tread the boards? Then take out your pen and paper. No smartphone note apps. No because I'm only saying this once. You write this down with pen and paper. If you're going out for Marion and the Music Man, you can't go wrong with 32 bars of my unknown someone. Any director worth their salt will delight in the thematic connection you've made by picking this song. They will think you are brilliant. Good night, my someone. Good night, my love. My unknown someone. Hello, it's right there. This is the number Betty performs on the moon moments before meeting Will. We have to make it clear we're in space from a musical standpoint, and so Billy Byers has sprinkled his orchestrations with just the right amount of stardust. There's a whimsical twinkle in this mix that beckons to the listener, inviting them to indulge in a daydream. Are you looking for your unknown someone? Then raise a glass of moon wine to the heavens and wish them well. Those who are too young for moon wine can have moon juice. Sure. Dee Hottie is, Dee Hottie is, I, I, she is, I love Dee Hottie in this show. Her vocals are the embodiment of strength. No one sounds like that if they have not dedicated hundreds of hours to their physical core, stretching and redefining its limits like a potter at the wheel. If you ever hear anyone tell you artists are not athletes, sock him in the fucking nose for me. Moonwine, I just now realized, should have said moonshine. Moonshine was right there. Oh well. Disappear from sight. 
sight And when I recall what used to be I'm weeping like a weeping willow tree Just look around, you'll see a memory around is stunning. Between Keith Carradine's heartache of a performance and the sobering imagery conjured by Comden and Green's lyrics, I began to I began to believe mankind's light was about to go out once and for all. I was startled, I was moved. This is an anthem for yesterday, today, and tomorrow, an ode to a natural world that is vanishing faster than Will Rogers ever could have imagined. I should probably shout out Cy Coleman's music here too. Right? Sigh, I'm sorry. I did not mean to leave you out. He would have... uh, So Will Rogers would have been singing about the encroachment of buildings and roads, of course, whereas Comden and Green, I assume, had the ozone layer and acid rain on their minds. But think of where we are in 2023 with all of the chemical spills and the melting ice caps, not to mention the rocket launch debris floating into our fucking lungs. Thank you, Elon. Die. The sky is well and truly getting darker by the day. I do not mean to be uh, this much of a doomsayer, but I mean, come on, let's be realistic. Boy, howdy, I'll say this as well. I do hope things improve soon, of course. I'll say it again, Carradine sounds uh, terrific on this track. The man is giving John Denver a run for his money. Carradine makes the prospect of saying goodbye to the earth sound like an impossibly sad yet beautiful moment, one in which our eyes are open and we are capable of accepting our fate. Sure, we screwed the pooch environmentally, but we can scrape up a bit of gorgeous, gorgeous dignity on our way out. All of this ecological stuff really does come out of nowhere in the show, and we never circle back to it, we never build on it further, but the detour makes for one hell of an experience. Democrats and Republicans, I'm asking for your vote. Well, I've got this debunk party with some new ideas to float. Don't ask me what my platform is, I leave that stuff alone. Cause no one keeps those promises as history has shown. I'll run a clean campaign and that will be my winning card. Considering the kind you've had, well, that won't be too hard. Mr. Chairman, the great sooner state of
so that was a bit of audio from the sequence, Our Favorite Son. This is when Will is running for president and everybody's sitting in chairs. It's a long line of chairs. Everybody's sitting next to each other and they're doing a lot of uh, knee slapping and hat slapping. When you hear the bells, the chimes, that's them hitting their straw hats, okay? If you can kind of picture that, if you've never seen it, watch the Tony Awards performance. You'll get it in full. Now, <laughs> I, I have a very distinct reference for this sequence because when I was in college at Northern Kentucky University, hello, go Norse, I want to say? Sure. They're not the Vikings, they are the Norse, I believe. Uh, so the NKU dance troupe, I was on the musical theater tour troupe, and so I would go to all of the same schools that the dance troupe would go to, and they did this routine from the Will Rogers Follies. I remember all of the, the knee slaps, the hip slaps, the hat slaps, oh, the slaps. I saw them do this so frequently that I felt at a certain point that I probably could have done it in a pinch. If someone was, if someone, you know, broke their wrist and they couldn't do all of the slaps, I'm kidding. There's no way I ever would have been able to do this. I don't know how people learn how to do this. They did this, I feel like, every year. It became a tradition at a certain point. And kudos to anyone who learns how to do this. And when these people come together and make this happen, I, I gotta say, that's a standing ovation moment for me. I don't know. I also remember that uh, that year's dance troupe also did a very dramatic sequence set to Hide and Seek by Imogene Heap. If that doesn't date when I went to college, I don't know what would. Where are we? What the hell is going on? Everybody was in like white tops and black pants and, and there was just so much strife, so much stretching, so much reaching, <laughs> grasping for love, I assume. Uh, no, come here, don't leave. Hide and seek. Where are you? I will find you! He's a traveling man, he's a flying man, after dinner speaker, speechifying man, he's a one-man show. The worm's turning I'll pack a bag and leave him flat But every time I start This feeling floods my heart He needs me to feed the cat Though when I'm by myself I'm so lonesome A party makes it twice as
body may be sitting on a piano throughout the entirety of No Man Left For Me, but she could not sound more activated or explosive. Do yourself a favor and watch her bang out this number in the context of the pro shot because I can almost guarantee she will take your breath away. After a while, you won't know where she's pulling her breath from how she could possibly have more fuel in the tank, and you will start to feel lightheaded. I'm warning you now, place a couple of pillows on the ground to ensure a soft landing. Together, dark torrential weather, we've managed to muddle through every muddy puddle. Old soul would never shine, still you kept your hand in mine. Now comes the sun, why run? Oh, stick with me, baby, let's kick up our heat. Taste the best of it, sniff the zest of it, feel how luxury feels. Take the fruits of our labors and splurge to the hilt. We deserve to be blooming before we must wilt. Where's the gold in the good life if you're knee-deep in guilt? Listen, honey, it's only money. Diamonds or Mrs. Rogers—they shine so bright like the light in your eyes. Rubies or Mrs. Rogers—not like the rhinestones you once got from other guys. Sapphires. So blue and brilliant, they all combine to make your gems red, white, and blue. With all the jewels above, I'm saluting our love. I'm true blue to the flag and true to you. This is the final song from the score that I will be featuring in today's episode. It's known as Presents for Mrs. Rogers. Hey, let's hear it once more for those lyrics from Condon and Green. Man, I was so transfixed by the words. These words. We've been through so much together. Dark, torrential weather. We've managed to muddle through every muddy puddle. I really like that. I also like, oh, stick with me, baby. Let's kick up our heels. Taste the best of it. Sniff the zest of it. Feel how luxury feels. I'm sorry, but sniff the zest of it? That is songwriting. <laughs> I know I'm being very subjective here, but that songwriting to me, sniff the zest of it, dark torrential weather, muddy puddles, I love it all, Compton and Green ate so we could eat. It is now time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Have 
come to the conclusion that one useless man is called a disgrace, that two are called a law firm, and that three or more become a Congress. And by God, I have had this Congress. For ten years, King George and his Parliament have gulled, cullied, and diddled these colonies with their illegal taxes. Stamp Acts, Townsend Acts, Sugar Acts, Tea Acts. And when we dared stand up like men, they stopped our trade, seized our ships, blockaded our ports, burned our towns, and spilled our blood. And still this Congress won't grant any of my proposals on 5678 even so much as the courtesy of open debate. Good God! What in hell are they waiting for? Our men need 5678 coffee to remain alert and ever at the ready on the battlefield. They must not become sluggish. As I've always said, a drowsy soldier is prone to diddling. And there is already quite enough diddling going on in this so-called new nation. Benjamin Franklin, you boiled egg of a bastard! Stop diddling over there and listen to me! Don't you tell me to shut up, Thomas Jefferson! I will snatch that wig right off your dry, itchy scalp! What's the matter? Too busy diddling yourself to hear my lectures? Well, tough ditty! I say vote yes! Vote yes! Vote for 5678 coffee! If our men on the field are to count on us, then we must count on the coffee, gentlemen! I say vote yes! Vote yes! Vote for 5678 coffee! Don't you tell me to shut the fuck up, Mr. Butler! You shut the fuck up! You shut the fuck up! I will diddle your bouncing ass from now until Christmas if it will get you to shut the fuck up! Final thoughts regarding the Will Rogers Follies. We should revive the Will Rogers Follies. Ah, but only, only, only if we can properly address the Cherokee angle with appropriate casting. We can't just, you know, have another white guy play Will Rogers. I love you, Keith Carradine. I'm sure you understand where I'm coming from. The year ain't 1991 no more. You know what I mean, Vern? Now, in 1991, as a reminder, the Will Rogers Follies took home the Tony Award for Best Musical. The additional nominees that season were Miss Saigon, Once on This Island, and The Secret Garden. Does today's subject deserve to keep the Tony Award for Best Musical? It's a question that we have to answer. I'm not giving the medallion to Miss Saigon or Once on This Island. And it's been a million years since I've sat down with The Secret Garden. We will talk about that show at some point. So I can't give the medallion to The Secret Garden, not in good faith anyway. No, Will Rogers, you may keep the medallion at this point. We've only got one show left in this set of nominees. We keep coming up against this. This is so fascinating to me. At a certain point, it seemed like we were never going to get to this point in our journey. It seemed so far away. No, it never seemed as if we would never get here. It just seemed as if it was so far away. And here we are. We're, we're so close to wrapping up so many of these nominee sets. Okay, let us 
rank the Will Rogers Follies against all of the other shows we've talked about here on The Musical Man. As always, if you want to check out this ranked list of ours, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod, access our link tree, you'll go to the spreadsheet, our beautiful spreadsheet, the second tab of that sheet. Oh, yeah, ah, that's where the ranking is. And Will Rogers Follies will fall at number 40 between Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 at number 39, and Mac and Mabel at number 41. Ah, yes, no changes to announce. You know, we can always change where these shows rest on the ranking, but, oh, I just, I keep telling myself that I need to look at this ranking. I need to reassess, but maybe we'll do that around episode 150. We're close to that, right? We're very close, so, you know, things are going to change inevitably. I have two pieces of show-related ephemera for you today. Are you excited? Oh, Are you excited? Here's the first one. This is from an HBO special that aired in 1987, the name of which is Will Rogers, Look Back in Laughter. And uh, I think you, I think you will understand who is talking in this, in this clip. If maybe, unless you're very young and you don't have a reference for this comedian, maybe you, maybe you won't know who this is, but take it away, you. Yes, Will Rogers. He made people laugh when they really needed it, during the Depression. Oh, those were tough days. I mean, I know, because my old man, he went through a Depression, too. In fact, my old man told me it started the day I was born. You know, sometimes I think back how poor we were. But we were so poor. In my neighborhood, the rainbow was in black and white. I mean, poor. Well, once on my birthday, my old man showed me a picture of a cake. I sat there all day trying to blow out the candles. Well, when I got sick, I never got an x-ray. The doctor held me up to the light. But I tell you, it's a real kick for me to talk about Will Rogers, because Will and I had a lot in common. And he never met a man he didn't like, and I never met a girl I didn't like. Yeah, we had a lot in common. He was always a winner with a horse, and I'm always a loser at the track. The track. Every time I bet on a horse, I hear the same thing. They're off. Except one. I tell you, I'm never lucky. Why, Will Rogers, he got famous telling jokes while he twirled his rope. I tried doing my act with a rope once. The audience tried to hang me. I mean, that's the story of my life. No respect. I don't get no respect from anyone. Why, if I would have met Will Rogers, he might have looked at me and said, I finally met a man I didn't like. Well, that's about it. I got to run along now. Jethro tells me there's a steer that needs roping. You know, sometimes I feel like a roping fool. This rope is broke. Ah, yes, that's Mr. Rodney Dangerfield, P-H-O-N-I-N-G, phoning it in, ladies and germs. Ring, ring, Mr. Dangerfield. (laughs) Will you accept the charges? No, I will not. That's my Rodney Dangerfield, I guess. Whoa, I played a cartoon dog named Rova Dangerfield. Other comedians featured in this special, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Harold Ramis, and Robin Williams. Those are the only other names cited on IMDb. No girls allowed, I guess. No girls allowed. You're not a crowd. The second piece of uh, show-related ephemera is the Will Rogers Paradox from the YouTube channel Data Demystified. Let's play that now. No context needed. Let's play that. Wouldn't it be great if we could skip all those expensive, time-intensive, and invasive medical procedures and just make sick people better without doing anything at all? Well, it turns out in a very unexpected way, you can't. 
but it's not exactly what you think it's going to be. This is going to be the story of how one comedian in the early part of the 20th century made such an unexpectedly insightful joke that we can actually use the same insights to trick us into thinking we've helped sick people by doing nothing, when, of course, that's not really possible. Welcome to Data Demystified. I'm Jeff Gallick, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Will Rogers Paradox and how it can seriously mislead us. But first, let's talk about a joke made about migration from the Dust Bowl to California in the early 20th century. Will Rogers, a famous comedian at the time, made this joke. When the Okies left Oklahoma and moved to California, they raised the average intelligence of both states. Not exactly the funniest joke by today's standards, but basically he's saying that when some of the folks from Oklahoma moved to California, they made both places smarter. But how can that be? How can one group leaving a state and moving to another state make both states smarter? That seems like an impossibility, and yet it's actually completely possible and is the root of the Will Rogers Paradox, named as such because of this joke. Let's for a moment humor Will Rogers and take the first premise of this joke at face value, that the people living in California are all pretty dumb. Side note, it's a joke, so please don't think either Will Rogers or I think that Californians are actually dumb. Anyway, we might represent that observation on two line charts like this. People on the left are dumb, and people on the right okay, are smart. Okay, I realize that, uh, that you can turn it off at dumb. any point, Patty, and or Benny. I'm sorry, this was a, um, I should have realized that this would have been a, that this is a really bad, uh, very boring video that I, I just, oh, God. It was very hard finding show-related ephemera. As, Will Rogers is a very old figure, you know? I mean, it, despite the fact that he was a movie star, why is the audio, is the audio, we're having trouble turning the audio off? I can do that on, okay, what, can I do that on my end? What's, so it's still happening, that mother, that guy is still talking right now. Okay, he, okay, good. Ah, I apologize, okay. I'm glad we were able to turn that off. Leave all of this in. Tommy Toon and Anne Reinking appeared during the 1991 Tony Awards live from Seattle, thank you very brunch, to perform the song Rosie from the national tour of Bye Bye Birdie. And while I would certainly call that a piece of show-related ephemera, Tommy did direct and choreograph the Will Rogers Follies, which of course won the Tony Award for Best Musical that very same year. But my gut is telling me to hold off on featuring that audio. Patience, I say, patience. There will come a day when we cover Bye Bye Birdie, but today is not that day. Bye Bye Birdie, The Secret Garden, they will all come in due time to determine which show we discuss next. Ooh, maybe they're next, I don't know. Let's take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, lovely to look at, better to eat. Everyone ready? Then away we go. Subject of the main feed is a 1967 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 560 performances and, hey, the title of this show, it's something I said during our plot summary. It's I do, I do. I was giving you a hint. I was giving you a clue. <laughs> These shows are randomly selected, by the way. They really, they well and truly are. I do, I do, is the next subject of the main feed. Go to patreon.com slash musical man pod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood 
Action Fund. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. If you donate one dollar a month, you will get Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes. A verbal shout out each and every week. Thank you so much, Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Within this first tier, you will also get 19 bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, a full breakdown of the film Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Punch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, the trailer for West Side Story as directed by Mr. Steven Spielberg, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, Annie Live, The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration. That's it! That's all of the bonus episodes, but we're not done. You get all 12 episodes in season one of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the songs, the non-musical theater songs, I should say, that make me feel more like myself. And you also get all 16 episodes in M3, The Movie Musical Man, a series for which we discuss movie musicals, trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. $3 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, all 10 episodes in Wildcats Everywhere, the High School Musical Podcast, and a special one-off about Julie and the Phantoms. We're actually in the middle of a brand new $3 a month tier series known as TV VIP. That is actively releasing new episodes every other week. It's a bi-weekly release schedule. TV VIP is dedicated to musical TV shows. We've already talked about Schmigadoon, Central Park, and Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies. Our next subject, which is, oh, that episode is dropping next week. It's Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I don't know if that show is good. Is it good? I'll find out. $5 a month gets you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You get seasons one and two. That's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, as well as all 14 episodes in our Broadway in Chicago review series and volumes one through five of Shout About It. Those are collections, compendiums, if you will, of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 125 episodes of the show. Our last tier, the $10 a month tier, gets you everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, all 12 episodes in season one of The Snow Club, a series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and, oh, finally, you get all 12 episodes in Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review if you please, if you please. Stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com, all viable options. You can follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. I haven't received an email in a really long time. I'd really like to receive an email. I would, I would. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in Chicago. I'm waving to you from Minneapolis. I love you guys. Alex Green, Thank you so much for our beautiful logo. 
and thank you so much, Zach Little, for our fabulous intro and outro music. Haha, <laughs> you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting, comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. Welcome to Broadway's world-famous Palace Theater here in New York City. What's happening? My name's Tommy Toon. Who is that and man? And I'm the director and choreographer of the show you're about to see, The Will Rogers Folly. She stole my diaper! Will Rogers was a...